want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles. We've had a, uh, to First Timothy. We're, we've had a few weeks off uh, with a vacation Bible school, and then we had a prayer meeting last week. But we're going to get back into our study in First Timothy. We're going to study First and Second Timothy on Wednesday nights. We'll go through that. And I feel like the Lord, I believe the Lord has blessed it. I believe he's going to bless this study. I think it's very needed in our time. One of the themes, there's more than one theme to these epistles. Remember, First and Second Timothy and Titus, they're all written by Paul. And they're known as the pastoral epistles, pastoral epistles. He didn't name them that. But they've become, to, become known as that over the years. There's so much clear instruction for churches. A lot of it's just practical and for the individual believer exercising himself to godliness. But one of the main themes over and over repeated in all of these epistles is the need for sound doctrine, the need for it to be preached, the need for it to be lived out, the need for it to be heard and received by those in the congregation that are the body of Christ. And so we've studied, uh, this is actually our fourth lesson. I, I feel like we're still laying some important groundwork we're not in a rush, so however long it takes, it takes. But I feel like we're laying some good groundwork. This is stuff, this is how you dig deep. You know, there's, there's times in church where you cover a lot of ground and, and you, you might cover a lot of things quickly. There's other times in church where you kind of dig deep and you, you're focused on something until it becomes a reality or more, uh, I guess, ingrained into our spirits and our lives. And I feel like uh, in this study, First Timothy, we're getting a good... Get good root system down into the ground. Amen. So when the storms of life come or times of drought or times of flood, whatever it may be, or strong winds, the roots are going to be strong in our individual lives and in our church um, as Christians to be able to hold on. There's a lot of foolishness, and I'm, that's putting it mildly in our day. It masquerades itself as Christ and Christianity and biblical and holy and of the spirit that is not. Uh, there's much that is wonderful and true as well. And so Paul is saying, hold to that sound doctrine. I want you to read with me, if you would. We're going to read verse 8 through verse uh, 10. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 5 through verse 10. First Timothy 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity or love. We covered this last couple of weeks ago. Out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience... And of faith unfeigned, or faith that's sincere and unhypocritical, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain janglings. Here again, he's mentioning the, the false. It's, it's, it's false, but something that's false and not real and true is also going to be vain. It's going to be pointless. It's not going to profit or help. Okay? Some have swerved or turned from uh, a pure heart, a good conscience, faith unfeigned, from sound doctrine, have turned aside into vain janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, 
for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. Of course, those things there are obviously contrary to sound doctrine, but it's not a finite list. He's saying if there be any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. It's not our responsibility to spend our lives studying and delving into all the different sins of the world or false doctrines of the world or cults or perversions of Scripture. If The closer we draw to the truth and the more we are familiar with Christ as the truth is in Christ Jesus, sanctify them by their truth. Jesus said thy word is truth. Then we're going to be more easily and readily able to detect the false. Know the word of God. I'm not saying there's never an occasion to study what does a Muslim believe and how does it differ from Christ. What does a New Ager believe? What does a, a, a Hindu believe? There are times and we ought not be ignorant about those things. But our focus should not be on that because there's a new perversion or cult or false doctrine or seducing spirits and doctrines of devils almost daily. Okay? We need to be grounded in the truth. Okay, now I want to talk about this. For, for just a moment, we're really going to start covering new ground in verse 9. So I want to read it again. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. Okay? And then he gives this description. I think there was 15 different types of people, specific sins that are listed there. But I want to spend some time tonight. So this is good stuff. I wish everybody was here, but God's got here who he wants tonight. This is good to let it sink in, sink in what we're talking about tonight, okay? Knowing this, we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Verse 8, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. Okay, so I want to talk about this. There were um, false teachers and false prophets, along with their teachings, what they teach that's false, is it's nothing new, okay? In the Garden of Eden, Satan spoke something false to Eve, right? You'll surely not die if you eat of this fruit of this tree. That was a lie, okay? Uh, they did die spiritually that day, and they, and they passed that sin and death on to all men. But, um, so it's nothing new. But the two main, uh, the two main false Teachings, I guess you would say that Paul was dealing with in the early church, and not only Paul, Peter was dealing with it in, in Second Peter, and, and what was being dealt with primarily was the, were the Judaizers, and we, we see it very clearly at the, the, the battleground, you know, the, the blueprint for that argument is found in Galatians. The church in Galatia had been bewitched. They believed the gospel. They were born again. They had a real church that followed Christ. It was not false. It was not fake. But after Paul left, because he was not a pastor, he was an apostle, and he moved from place to place, uh, the Judaizers came in and began to, as he put it, bewitched you. Who has bewitched you that you should have left the truth, basically? And their, their belief was that, no, 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 you have, to, you have to stay under the law. So people that have been set free, in Christ are now being told, no, 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 you, you misunderstood. You have to keep the law. And, and they should have said, you're crazy, get out. You know, a believer has the, has the uh, ability as a, as, a, as a Christian to have that discernment and be able to de detect what's false and put it away. But they didn't, and they came under a bondage. They came under a bondage 
of, of the law. And now they're thinking, okay, I thought I was saved by grace, and I thought I was washed in the blood of Jesus, and I'm in Christ, and now you're telling me I've got to keep the law. You can imagine that was not a happy day, and that would not have been a happy, joyful church, okay? They're brought under a bondage that Christ did not put them under. It was a bondage to the law, not only for salvation, but also for sanctification or growth in Christ. No, you have to keep this. Again, if somebody brings a false doctrine to you or to your church, know the word of God enough to be able to speak the truth in love that that is incorrect. You don't have to just, well, they have a degree from a seminary and they have this and they have that. And so certainly they know more than I do. And I just accept it. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know God for yourself. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You study his word to show yourself approved. Amen. So I talk about this often because it needs to be talked about. I'm not afraid of a false doctrine. We just need to be prepared. Okay. We need to be prepared and as grounded in the word as we can and filled with the spirit of God. All right. So that was one major uh, false doctrine. Very clearly. There's another very one, uh, very clear that John speaks about in 1 John and in the Gospel of John. You can see it, and that was the Gnostics. And the Gnostics we talked about, I don't want to uh, rehash and, and go over it all, but a couple of weeks ago I gave a real good breakdown, a summary of what the Gnostics believed. And, and basically it was, it was emphasizing, the Gnostics emphasized experience over doctrine what you experience, what you feel. Well, I went and my hair stood up on end. And so I know that had to be the Lord. I know God's word says such and such, but I experienced this. And the reason you haven't experienced it yet is because I am, and this is what they would say, I am more spiritual than you. I am further down this spiritual journey. I am closer to, you know, and more spiritual than you are. So there's a lot of arrogance to it. And there's no way to test and see whether they're, in, in other words, if, if you're, everything's based on experience, then it's very subjective. There's not a real standard to keep us all on the track. But there is a real standard to keep us all on track. It's right here. Okay? There's the spirit of truth and the word of truth. And so we can stay right there. All right? So that was the two main uh, the main false teachings in Paul's day and in the apostles' day. All right, so I want to talk about the law, though, because it's important. He says this, we know that the law is good, in verse 8, if a man use it lawfully. All right, so what is a lawful or right, proper use for the law? Paul's saying that in the age of grace. Paul is saying that in the age of the New Testament with the new covenant in Christ's blood. And he is saying, he doesn't say there was a proper use for the law. He says, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So what would be a proper use for the law? I'm going to give a little teaching tonight. I don't know how far we'll get on the law. Okay, on the law. Uh, a couple of years ago, God gave me, a, a, I believe the Lord led me to preach a series on Sunday mornings. And I think it might have been seven sermons. I'm not sure. On the law. Okay. And how it, uh, the law, what it was intended for, and what it's not intended for, 
uh, what was its purpose then? What, is the, what does it have relevance to us today in this dispensation of the cross, okay, in the blood of Christ? Clearly, there is an Old Testament with the, the, it's characterized by the law of Moses, the Levitical law, and there is a New Testament, which is, he says, this, eat, when we take communion, right, this, this, eat this bread and drink this wine, uh, this is my body that's broken for you, and this is my New Testament. This is the New Testament in my blood. Testament means covenant. So there's a new covenant in Christ. And so we understand that. Don't blend the two. Don't get them confused like the Judaizers. I don't think they were confused. I think they were evil, and I think they were purposely bringing people under a bondage. Now, having said that, what is the proper use of the law. What is Paul talking about? Okay. And I want you to look with me in your Bible. And at very least, if you're taking notes, just at least get the scriptures down. Okay. Uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter three. I mentioned that a little while ago about the Judaizers. Galatians chapter three. So basically, Paul in Galatians is rebuking the Galatian church for allowing themselves to be brought back under this bondage. He has a few choice words to say about the false teachers as well. And he also tries to lay out an argument. You're not under the law, okay? And he gives it, he gives it. So let's read in Galatians 3, verses 21 through 25. You could just highlight this in your Bible and study it sometime. Is the law then against the promises of God? What is his answer? God forbid. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Okay, so there's a promise that comes not through the law. And there's life that comes not through the law. And there's righteousness that comes not through the law. Okay, if, if there w could have been a law that would have brought righteousness, then righteousness should have been by the law. Pretty, very simple argument. But he says all of sin, the, the scripture came, I mean Christ came, that, that to all that believe that the righteousness of God may be fulfilled in Christ and come to men through Christ. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our what? Schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So I'm just going to, I got lots of scriptures. We'll look at some, some I, I may just give you. But here's, here's the deal because I don't want to be confusing. And what I've studied, and you can study the same thing. The law was given about 1,500 years B.C., before Christ came, roughly, okay? There were 2,500 years prior to that, of since, since Adam and Eve in the garden, and Noah in the flood, and right, all that, and Abraham, and Joseph in Egypt, and all of that was 20, there was no, there was no Levitical law during that time, okay? Then there was about 1,500 years prior to Christ's coming, when the Jewish people were under the law. What was the purpose of the law? 
why. Just, just right here, why the law? The law, the law was to be a schoolmaster that's simply a teacher. And the Hebrews would have understood this better because a, a child of a certain age, and I forgot the ages, I'm sorry, uh, they, were, they were under a tutor till they turned a certain age and they became a man, so to speak. But they were under the tutor. They were, they were don't do this and do this, right? Forming them and fashioning them. Then there came a point where that tutor they, was taken away. Was the tutor evil and wicked? No, the, the tutor was there for a very sound reason, to get you ready for this manhood so that you can go out on your own. And you won't have somebody popping you with a ruler on the back of the head because you messed up. You're going to have a conscience, and you're going to know what's right and wrong and do it. That's just a picture. So what was the law? The law was good, and the law was used to do a couple of things. It was to show the holiness of God, that he's not like men. Thou shalt not lie, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal and covet and, and give a fault, bear false witness and commit idolatry. He's, it showed the holiness of God. That's one thing it did. What does it also show through all the commandments? It shows the sinfulness of man. In this ever-widening gap, and the further you traveled under that law and tried to keep it sincerely and honestly trying to keep it, you're saying, oh my goodness, I will never, never, never be, get from here to there. The law was good and that it revealed that to men, okay? It, it talk, the Bible talks in Romans that the law was given that sin May, may, be, uh, may seem exceeding sinful. And here's a thought, okay, the way that I thought of it. Somebody says, you, you share the gospel with somebody, and they say, all right, and they're lost. And they say, well, I know I'm not as good as I should be, but I'm better than most. And, uh, you know, you, you've heard things like that. I'm, I'm not a horrible person. I'm a pretty good person. Could I do better? Yeah. But it's not the question of could you do better or are you pretty good? Or are you as good as me or somebody else? The question is, when you go to the law, and the law says, from God, thou shalt not steal. So it's not just that you're kind of bad. You start enumerating those things. Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever coveted something that's not yours? And you start going, if the person is honest and sincere even an honest and sincere sinner, okay, they will start seeing that they might not want to hear anymore. But that's one of the purposes of the, of the law, okay, that we all would be stand condemned. I want to read this. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. This is Romans 3.19 and 20 if you want to jot it down. Every mouth may be stopped. It's, the law is just saying, just be quiet. Stop excusing yourself. Stop justifying yourself. Stop telling me how you're not that bad, okay? And you're not as bad as some, and I'm not as bad as Osama bin, Laden, bin Lama or Adolf Hitler. I'm not as bad as that. Uh, that the, every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Why would the Lord want that? Because like an old preacher said, you got to get men lost before you get them saved. 
God's got to get a man lost before he gets them them saved. You can't, if a person thinks they're okay, they're pretty much indifferent to what Christ suffered and died for on the cross. They might be moved by it emotionally and think, "What what a sacrifice, what a giving person, what love, they might even say. But if they don't understand that they stand condemned and guilty and their only hope is Christ, then they're not going to care that much about what Jesus did. So the law, a rightful, useful uh, use of the law, would be, for one thing, to show the sinfulness of man. To show the sinfulness of man, okay? That every mouth may be stopped, all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, the deeds of the law, that's a person, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm not committing murder, and I haven't stolen anything in the last five years, okay? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by, listen to this, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What is the knowledge of sin? It's not the only way. We have a conscience as well. But it clearly, by the law, is the knowledge of sin. These are key Things that God's given us in his word, okay? So I'm, I'm going to say this at the beginning, middle, and end. God does not want us. It is not for us to despise the law. There's circles within churches, within Christianity. You see it more some places than others. You can see it woven throughout. There's a, and some you'll just hear point blank the words, the law is wicked. The law is, is you know, we hate the law. And so forth. And nowhere do you see the Apostle Paul said that, say that. In fact, I want you to, to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. It's not my position to, nor intent to make, make you feel or anyone feel or myself feel that I am under the law. We are not. If you're born again... We're not under the law. We just read it. By the work, deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Okay? There's no appeal to that. There's no, I don't want to go under it. Okay? I'm not trying to put you under it. I am trying to see what does God's word say about the law and what was and is its purpose. Okay? So look at, this is great. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12. I just want you to read what the Apostle Paul, who came out of the Jewish law, if anybody knew it, he knew it. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, okay? He knew it, and he was lived under it. And he says in, in, uh, in Philippians, it's touching the righteousness of the law, he was blameless, okay? Just, just in the sense of he kept it. He kept it. Nobody keeps it perfectly, okay, but other than Christ. But here's what he said about it after he came out and was born again and an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 12, wherefore the law is holy. So for me to say the law is wicked is just wrong. It's unbiblical. It's unscriptural. And it does disservice and it causes people to disdain what God does not serve to pain. The law is finished. That's the key. The law served a purpose up until Christ. It doesn't just keep carrying over into this new life. It served its purpose up until Christ. 
Jesus Christ fulfilled it. He didn't hate it. He didn't take a machine gun and shoot it all apart. He didn't ridicule the law. He didn't ridicule the Ten Commandments or any of the law or the sacrifices. You know what he did? He fulfilled it. He did what no man could ever do. Christ fulfilled it. He himself. And therefore, when I give my life to Christ, he is my righteousness. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in them who believe in the one who fulfilled it. Amen? Well, let's keep reading what Paul said about the law. Wherefore, the law is holy. And he's still talking about the law. And the commandment, holy and just and good. You don't hear that in a lot of circles today. We're not under the law, but we don't hate the law either. We want to go to the Bible and see what God's word says about it. Was then that which is good, and he's speaking about the law, basically saying that the law that was good, was that made death unto me? God forbid, but sin. What, what caused the, the death, the spiritual death in Paul? It wasn't the law. The law highlighted it. The law showed it to him. Without escape, everywhere he went, the law. I've, done, I've broken that one. I've broken that one. You know, I've thought that. I've broken that law. The, he says the law, what, what really brought the death? But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, by the law, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's what the Bible says. And here's a man, I don't think he's a Bible character. There are a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Jewish apostles. But I don't think there's a Bible character that would have been as an expert in the law as the Apostle Paul. He said it's good, just, holy, and spiritual. So what's the weak link? Here's a man under the law, and here's the law. The weak link is, is the man. If it's a chain, okay, Where's it going to break every time? It's going to break because I'm a sinner. It's going to break because I can't, and I can't keep the law. The law is good, but I can't keep it. Now, let me ask you this. Getting all, all over the place, but, but really not. Uh, was the law given by God to Moses on, on the mountain and then to the people? Was that law given by God to to be the means of salvation for people. Do you think he gave it and said, if somebody's going to get saved and be justified and considered righteous in my sight and make it to heaven one day when they die, they have to keep the law. I'm giving it for that purpose. Is that why God gave it? No. There's not one place where the Lord says, Old Testament or New Testament, where the Lord says, look unto the law and be saved. He says, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Okay? So what is the point? Back to it. So what, why the law then? To show the holiness of God, to make very clear that every mouth may be stopped, the sinfulness of man. You're not as good as you think you are. Okay? You're a sinner. And condemned. There's not one righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. How many? Zero. The law helps very clearly lay that out, and it's like a blanket. It just falls on all. Nobody's escaping it. So, what should it do? 
shows the holiness of God, the universal sinfulness of man. Some have sinned more than others, but all are sinners, right? And that should, what God intends is that that would drive the man to cry out to God for mercy. God, you, you say don't do this in every, at every turn. I'll, I'll try and I'll do my best and I can't get through the day without breaking some law. Thank you, God, for these animal sacrifices that make a, an atonement, a temporary covering for my sin. But I know that you desire more than that, David said. You desire truth in the inward parts. It's, sacrifices and burnt offerings is not what you want. I'm thankful that you give those. But Lord, it's you. God, you have to forgive my sins. You have to come into my heart and forgive me. Now, they didn't have the whole gospel picture, obviously. They didn't know about the cross, you know. They knew about a serpent lifted up on a, on a stick, though, on a pole. And everybody that looked on it was healed when the serpents were biting them in the wilderness, right? They knew they had types and shadows and pictures. And they knew he's holy, I'm not. I'm going to go to this holy God and I'm going to ask for mercy, which I don't deserve. He's going to save me. We just read it Sunday morning. I preached from Micah. That's Old Testament, right? Micah. Before the Babylonian captivity. It's a while back. And he says, I've sinned against God. I'm going to bear that indignation until he pleads my cause. And he's going to lift me out of my sin. And he's going to plant me in his presence. And I'm going to sit in the light of the Lord. He's going to get me out of the darkness of my own sin. And he's going to put me in the light that he gives. And I will behold his righteousness. He understood enough to believe that. He didn't hate the law. But he knew he couldn't keep it perfectly. Y'all understand what we're saying here. That there is a right use of the law. And... God wants us to understand that because in our day, right now, today, say, what are, you know, the law is done with, and that's a bunch of Old Testament stuff that has nothing to do with me. Well, in, in one sense, it doesn't, and in one sense, it does. If we believe this Bible, okay, then the Lord, not, not the ceremony, there was a ceremonial law, different feasts, right? And they would wave things and drink offerings poured out on the altar. There was a sacrificial law where they would make blood sacrifices daily and then continually. And then on the annual day of atonement for the sins of the people, the priest would first offer an animal for his own sins and then for another for the sins of the people. So there's a sacrificial law. All that was to point to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover it. He does cover it, but he does more than cover it. He washes it away. He takes away the sins of the world. Those were pictures and types and shadows, a ceremonial law. There was a sacrificial law. There was a civil law, just like we have civil laws, no speeding and, you know, uh, whatever, purchase of property, and you have these different laws and, and building codes. There was civil law that we read about. You go back and read in Leviticus. It's very detailed. You kind of say, I want to get through Leviticus and get to something more exciting. But yet it's all there for us to read. There was a civil law. And you know what's a thread through it all, though, that does still apply to us is the moral law. I, I call it the moral law. Okay. In other words, 
The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, part of the law of Moses, right? We're not under the law. God says, thou shalt not kill. He's talking about murder. He's not talking about justifiable self-defense or military battle. He's talking about murder, okay? Uh, thou shalt not kill. So I'm under grace. That has nothing to do with me. We know that that would be ridiculous. I can go out and kill people now because I'm under grace, not under the law. Obviously, he says in Hebrews, and he's quoted, I believe, from uh, Ezekiel, that he says in the new covenant, I'm going to write my laws in your hearts and in your minds. And it's not written with on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart and not with ink, but by the spirit of God. The moral law still applies to us. We're still not to commit adultery. We're still not to uh, uh, make a graven image and bow down to it. We're still not to blaspheme the Lord. We're still to honor our mothers and fathers. You understand what I'm saying? It's repeated. In fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus restated in the New Testament the, the, uh, the continuance, I guess you would say, of the, the law, all Ten Commandments, Except the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. But all the other laws were there, and we see them in all the epistles, right? What, is, what does Paul say in, in Philippians and again in Colossians? Honor your mother and father, for example. That's the first commandment with promise, that you have a long life, and things will go well for you. You understand the point? So it's, it's ridiculous. It's false. It's a perversion and twisting to say, that oh, we have nothing to do with that. No, we don't make blood sacrifices anymore. That's, a, that's part of the sacrificial law. We don't keep and observe the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread of the Passover. We, see, we appreciate the pictures that are there, the types and shadows, okay? I'm not under that. I'm not obligated to that. Christ is my Passover, the Bible says. And I don't keep uh, the... the the ceremonial law, I don't keep the civil law of, and we have a different priest, a different priesthood, just read through Hebrews. But certainly, uh, I like what I read in one uh, quote I read that says, the gospel does not permit what the law forbids. Think about it for a second. We're under the gospel of grace, and we are, and I'm so thankful that I am. I was never a Jew. I was never under the law, honestly. So I certainly don't want, don't want to go under it when Christ fulfilled it. But the law, the, the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ does not permit what the law forbids. It does not. He's taken those laws and he's taken them from tables of stone. They were outward and he kept reminding us, remember the, these. And he's taken them from there and he's written them on the hearts of those that have given their lives to Christ. They don't just go away somewhere and are irrelevant. But at the same time, we haven't kept those laws that are written on our hearts. We go to Christ for forgiveness. He is our righteousness. My righteousness did not come from keeping the law, nor after I'm saved, though it is written on my heart and in my conscience, nor does my righteousness, is it sustained by me keeping the law. It is Christ who fulfilled the law for me 
He is my righteousness. When God Almighty looks at you, if you're born again, he looks at me, he sees me under the blood of his son Jesus. He sees me with a clean, I don't see it. I feel real filthy because the way I just acted or talked to my wife or, or whatever. I feel and worried and fretted and complained all week long when God's blessed me immeasurably. I see him and say, oh, man, God, forgive me. He sees me under the blood of Jesus. He sees me robed in the righteousness of his son. And that's the way he'll see me tomorrow when things are going great and I'm lifting my hands and worshiping the Lord. Or when I lose my temper, he still sees He's aware of my sin. He's not blind to it. Okay, and I need to quickly come to the Lord and confess it. But my righteousness that he sees me is not based on my performance, even after I'm saved. My righteousness is truly the righteousness of another, the one who perfectly fulfilled every jot, every tittle. That's like every dot over the eye and every little uh, upturn at the end of some letter when you write it. That's what that means. He says it's all, Jesus said, it's all got to be fulfilled. Who can do it, Lord? A group of people, an individual? Nobody. The Lord says, I, I can do it. I'm, I'm doing it. I've done it. He said on the cross, it is finished. I want to close with uh, a scripture here. Y'all turn with me. We're going to close with this. Romans 10, 3 and 4. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, his righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, that's a man who thinks they're going to be justified by the law. I'm going about, Paul was this way. Saul of Tarsus was this way. He was honest in that sense, and he was sincere. He wasn't, uh, he really believed it until God opened his eyes and showed him how dead wrong he was. But he went about to establish his own righteousness by the law. I've got the law. I know the law. I'm keeping the law. Okay, that's what, and I'm going to be righteous by that. All right, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not subjected themselves, this is before he got saved, subjected themselves unto the righteousness of God. Listen, this is our key verse. We'll close with this. For Christ is what? The end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believeth. Christ is the end to it. He's the end to it. As I said, here's the law, the law, the law. It's pointing men to Christ if they'll listen. It's pointing men to Christ if they'll look. That's how John the Baptist can stand up and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away these sins of the world. He knew the lambs that were offered and why they were offered. And he says, here's an end to it. Here's the Lamb. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Amen. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what? Keeps the law? What does the scripture say we just read? To everyone who believes. The promise is by faith, not by works. The promise of eternal life and justification and true righteousness in God's sight does not come by the law. The law does not have that power or ability, nor it does it have that purpose in God's eyes to bring righteousness to men. 
The law is to bring people to their knees before God and say, oh God, like the two, the two that prayed in the, the temple, right? The Pharisee beat his chest. I thank you I'm not like that man over there. I fast twice a week and I tithe of what I have and I pray. And the other man, the, the publican, didn't even lift up his face in the temple. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This man should have known the law. He did know the law, but he missed Christ. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. This man, he understood with maybe his little knowledge of the law. I'm a sinner. I'm a no good sinner. God, have mercy. What a wonderful thing, mercy. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. That man left justified. Two, two men came in the temple and two men went out. One left justified. He just cried out for, to God for mercy. But he understood his sinful condition, didn't he? We need to see it. And we're not going to cry out for mercy. Amen. D, you can come. Y'all, I'm going to pick up on that. Uh, it's important. This is going to give us a good foundation moving forward and looking at other, uh, other things. I won't have to repeat necessarily in this detail about the law and its proper use as we move forward. Father, we come before you. Y'all stand if you would. Father, we come before you tonight, God, and Lord, even just through hearing the scriptures in, in this word tonight, God, it's making me more thankful, grateful for the mercy of God. Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. That's Old Testament scripture. Ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God, I want to thank you tonight. And church, I just encourage you to be thankful. The altars are open. Come and meet with the Lord. Just thank him tonight. Maybe you've had a wrong understanding of the law. And maybe in some part tonight, God helped you and spoke to you. Maybe you were trying to keep it in some way for your own righteousness before the Lord. Or maybe you had a disdain for the law because you heard it was wicked and bad. I pray we would come before the Lord. Remember, Christ fulfilled it. He wouldn't have fulfilled something that's wicked. He fulfilled the law. Now, God, I thank you that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. God, we believe you tonight, God. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that did what nothing could ever, nothing else could ever do.